Chapter Eight, Part Two of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Six by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bicetre, Part Two. Doctor Herbin, the individual alluded to, was a man of about the middle age, with a countenance expressive of great kindness and benevolence, united to extreme skill and penetration in discovering the extent of malady with which his unfortunate patients were affected. His voice, naturally harmonious, assumed a tone of gentle suavity when he spoke to the poor lunatics, who, however bereft of reason, seemed always to listen with peculiar delight to his soft, soothing words, which frequently had the effect of subduing the invariable irritability attendant on this fearful complaint. Monsieur Herbin had been among the first to substitute, in his treatment of madness, sympathy and commiseration for the frightful remedies ordinarily employed. He abandoned the coercive system, so repugnant to every principle of humanity, for kind words, conciliating looks, and a ready attention to every request that could reasonably be granted. He banished chains, whips, drenching with cold water, and even solitary confinement, except in cases of urgent necessity. Monsieur, said Madame Georges, addressing the doctor, I have ventured hither with my son and daughter, although personally unknown to Monsieur Morel, but my interest in his unfortunate state made me desirous of witnessing the experiment you are about to make to restore his reason. You have every hope of succeeding, have you not? I certainly reckon much, madame, on the good effects likely to be produced by the sight of his daughter and the persons he has been in the constant habit of seeing. When my husband was arrested, said Morel's wife, pointing to Rigolette, our kind young friend here was nursing me and my children. "'And my father knew Monsieur Germain quite well,' said Louise. Then, directing the attention of Monsieur Herbin to Alfred and Anastasie, she added, "'Monsieur and Madame here were porters at the house, and assisted our family to the utmost of their ability.' "'I am greatly obliged to you, my worthy friend,' said the doctor, addressing Alfred, "'for quitting your occupation to come hither. But I see by your amiable countenance that you have cheerfully sacrificed your time to visit your poor lodger here.' "'Sir,' replied Pipelet, gravely bowing, "'men should help each other in this sublunary world, "'and remember that all are brothers, "'added to which your unfortunate patient "'was the very cream and essence of an honest man, "'and therefore do I respect him.' "'If you are not afraid, madame,' said Dr. Herbin to Madame Georges, "'of the sight of the poor creatures here,' We will cross some of the yards leading to that part of the building where I have deemed it advisable to remove Morel, instead of allowing him to accompany the others to the farm as usual. The farm? exclaimed Madame Georges. Have you a farm here? Your surprise is perfectly natural, Madame. Yes, we have a farm, the produce of which is most serviceable to the establishment, although entirely worked by the patients. Is it possible? Can you make these lunatics work, and allow them to be at liberty while they do so? Certainly. Exercise, the calm tranquillity of the fields, with the aspect of nature, are among our most certain means of cure. Only one keeper goes with them, and we have rarely had an instance of any patient endeavouring to get away. They are delighted to be employed, and the trifling reward they gain serves still to improve their condition by enabling them to purchase different little indulgences. But we have reached the gate conducting to one of these courts. 
then perceiving a slight appearance of alarm on the countenance of madame georges the doctor added lay aside all apprehension madame in a very few minutes you will feel as tranquil as i do myself i follow you sir come my children anastasie whispered pipelet when i think that had the persecutions of that odious gabrion continued your poor dear alfred might have become mad like the unhappy wretches we are about to behold clad in the most wild and singular state chained up by the middle or confined in dens like the wild beasts in the jardin des plantes oh bless your dear old heart don't talk of such a thing la i have heard say that them as he has gone mad for love are for all the world like born devils directly they see a woman dashing against the bars of their dens and making all sorts of horrid noises till the keepers are forced to flog them till they drop or else turn great taps of water on their heads before they can quiet them anastasie rejoined pipelet gravely i desire you will not go too close to these dreadful creatures an accident so soon happens besides answered anastasie with a tone of sentimental melancholy poor things i have no business to show myself just for the sake of tantalizing them tis woman's beauty and fascination reduces them to this horrid state i declare i feel a cold shudder creep over me as i reflect that perhaps if i had refused to make you a happy man alfred you might at this very minute be raving mad for love and shut up in one of those dens roaring out the moment you caught sight of a woman while as it is my poor old duck is glad to get out of the way of the naughty females that will be trying to make him notice them tis true my modesty is easily alarmed but anastasie the door opens i tremble with dread of what we are about to witness no doubt the most hideous-looking people and all sorts of dreadful noises rattling of chains and grinding of teeth the door being opened admitted them into a long courtyard planted with rows of trees under which benches were placed on each side was a well-constructed and spacious portico or covered stone terrace with which a range of large airy cells communicated a number of men all alike clad in a grey dress were walking talking or conversing in this pleasant retreat while others were seated on the benches enjoying the refreshing shade and fresh open air at the sight of dr herbin a number of the unfortunate lunatics pressed around him with every manifestation of joy and delight extending to him their hands with an expression of grateful confidence to which he cordially responded by saying good day good day my worthy fellows i am glad to see you all so well and happy some of the poor lunatics too far from the doctor to be able to seize his hand ventured with a sort of timid hesitation to offer theirs to the persons who were with him good morning friends said germain shaking hands in a manner so cordial as to fill the unfortunate beings with happiness are these the mad patients inquired madame georges nearly the worst belonging to the establishment answered the doctor smiling they are permitted to be together during the day but at night they are locked up in the cells you see there can it be possible that these men are really mad but when are they violent generally at the first outbreak of their malady when they are brought here after a short time the soothing treatment they experience with the society of their companions calms and amuses them 
so that their paroxysms become milder and less frequent, until at length, by the blessing of God, they recover their senses. "'What are those individuals talking so earnestly about?' inquired Madame Georges. "'One of them seems referring to a blind man, who, in addition to the loss of sight, seems likewise deprived of speech and reason. Have you such a one among your patients, or is the existence of this person but a mere coinage of the brain?' "'Unhappily, madame, it is a fact but too true, and the history connected with it is a most singular one. The blind man concerning whom you inquire was found in a low haunt in the Champs-Élysées, in which a gang of robbers and murderers of the worst description were apprehended. This wretched object was discovered chained in the midst of an underground cave, and beside him lay the stretched dead body of a woman, so horribly mutilated, that it was wholly impossible to attempt to identify it. The man himself was hideously ugly, his features being quite destroyed by the application of vitriol. He has never uttered a single word since he came hither. Whether his dumbness be real or affected, I know not, for strange to say, his paroxysms always occur during the night and when I am absent, so as to baffle all conjecture as to his real situation. But his madness seems occasioned by violent rage, the cause of which we cannot find out, for, as I before observed, he never speaks or utters an articulate sound. But here he is. The whole of the party accompanying the doctor started with horror at the sight of the schoolmaster, for he it was who merely feigned being dumb and mad to procure his own safety. The dead body found beside him was that of the Chouette, whom he had murdered, not during a paroxysm of madness, but while under the influence of such a burning fever of the brain as had produced the fearful dream he had dreamed the night he passed at the farm of Bouqueval. After his apprehension in the vaults of the tavern in the Champs-Élysées, the schoolmaster had awakened from his delirium to find himself a prisoner in one of the cells of the conciergerie, where mad persons are temporarily placed under restraint. Hearing all about him speak of him as a raving and dangerous lunatic, he resolved to continue to enact the part, and even feigned absolute dumbness for the purpose of avoiding the chance of any questions being attempted to be put to him. His scheme succeeded. When removed to Bicêtre, he affected occasional fits of furious madness, taking care always to select the night for these outrageous bursts, the better to escape the vigilant eye of the head surgeon. The house-doctor, hastily summoned, never arriving in time to witness either the beginning or ending of these attacks. The few of his accomplices who knew either his name or the fact of his having escaped from the galleys at Rochefort were ignorant of what had become of him. And even if they did, what interest could they have in denouncing him? Neither would it have been possible to establish his identity, burnt and mutilated as he was, with the daring felon of Rochefort. He hoped, therefore, by continuing to act the part of a madman, to be permitted to abide permanently at Bicêtre. Such was now the only desire of the wretch unable longer to indulge his appetite for sinful and violent deeds. During the solitude in which he lived in Bras Rouge's cellar, remorse gradually insinuated itself into his strong heart, and, cut off from all communication with the outer world, his thoughts fled inwards, and presented him with ghastly images of those he had destroyed, till his brain burned with its own excited torture. And thus this miserable creature, still in the full vigor and strength of manhood, before whom were doubtless long years of life, and enjoying the undisturbed possession of his reason, was condemned to linger out the remainder of his days as a self-imposed mute, 
and in the company of fools and madmen or if his imposition was discovered his murderous deeds would conduct him to a scaffold or condemn him to perpetual banishment among a set of villains for whom his newly awakened penitence made him feel the utmost horror the schoolmaster was sitting on a bench a mass of grizzled tangled locks hung around his huge and hideous head leaning his elbow on his knee he supported his cheek in his hand spite of his sightless eyes and mutilated features the revolting countenance still expressed the most bitter and overwhelming despair dear mother observed germain what a wretched-looking object is this unfortunate blind man oh yes my son answered madame georges it makes one's heart ache to behold a fellow-creature so heavily afflicted i know not when anything has so completely shocked me as the sight of this deplorable being scarcely had madame georges given utterance to these words than the schoolmaster started and his countenance even despite its secretized and disfigured state became of an ashy paleness he rose and turned his head in the direction of madame georges so suddenly that she could not refrain from faintly screaming though wholly unsuspicious of who the frightful creature really was but the schoolmaster's ear had readily detected the voice of his wife and her words told him she was addressing her son mother inquired germain what ails you are you ill nothing my son but the sudden movement made by that man terrified me indeed sir continued she addressing the doctor i begin to feel sorry i allowed my curiosity to bring me hither nay dear mother just for once to see such a place cannot hurt you i tell you what germain interposed rigolette i don't feel very comfortable myself and i promise you neither your mother nor i will desire to come here again it is too affecting nonsense you are a little coward is she not monsieur le docteur why really answered monsieur herbin i must confess that the sight of this blind lunatic affects even me who am accustomed to such things what a scarecrow old ducky isn't he whispered anastasie but la to my eyes every man looks as hideous as this dreadful blind creature in comparison with you and that is why no one can ever boast of my having granted him the least liberty don't you see alfred i tell you what anastasie replied pipelet i shall dream of this frightful figure i know he will give me an attack of nightmare i won't eat tripe for supper till i have quite forgot him and how do you find yourself now friend asked the doctor of the schoolmaster but he asked in vain no attempt was made to reply come come continued the doctor tapping him lightly on the shoulder i am sure you hear what i say try to make me a sign at least or speak something tells me you can if you will but the only answer made to this address was by the schoolmaster suddenly drooping his head while from the sightless eyes rolled a tear he weeps exclaimed the doctor poor creature murmured germain in a compassionate tone the schoolmaster shuddered again he heard the voice of his son breathing forth commiseration for his wretched though unknown parent what is the matter inquired the doctor what is it that grieves you but without taking any notice of him the schoolmaster hid his face with his hands we shall make nothing of him said the doctor then perceiving how painfully this scene appeared to affect madame georges he added now then madame we will go to morel and if my expectations are fulfilled 
you will be amply rewarded for the pain you have felt hitherto in witnessing the joy of so good a husband and father in being restored to his family. With these words the doctor, followed by the party that had accompanied him, proceeded on his way, leaving the schoolmaster a prey to his own distracting thoughts, the most bitter of which was the certainty of having heard his son's voice, and that of his wife, for the last time. Aware of the just horror with which he inspired them, the misery, shame, and affright with which they would have heard the disclosure of his name made him prefer a thousand deaths to such a revelation. One only but great consolation remained in the certainty of having awakened the pity of his son, and with this thought to comfort him, the miserable being determined to endure his sufferings with repentance and submission. We are now about to pass by the yard appropriated to the use of the idiot patients, said the doctor, stopping before a large grated door through which the poor idiotic beings might be seen huddled together with every appearance of the most distressing imbecility. Spite of Madame Georges's recent agitation, she could not refrain from casting a glance through the railing. Poor creatures, said she in a gentle, pitying voice. How dreadful to think their sufferings are hopeless! for I presume there is no remedy for such an affliction as theirs. Alas, none, madame, replied the doctor, but I must not allow you to dwell too long on this mournful picture of human misery. We have now arrived at the place where I expect to find Morel, whom I desired should be left entirely alone, in order to produce a more startling effect in the little project on which I build my hopes for his restoration to reason. What idea principally occupies his mind? asked Madame Georges. He believes that if he cannot earn thirteen hundred francs by his day's work, in order to pay off a debt contracted with one Ferrand, a notary, his daughter will perish on a scaffold. That man Ferrand was indeed a monster, exclaimed Madame Georges. Poor Louise Morel and her father were not the only victims to his villainy. He has persecuted my son with the bitterest animosity. I have heard the whole story from Louise, replied the doctor. Happily the wretch can no more wring your hearts with agony. But be so good as to await me here while I go to ascertain the state of Morel. Then, addressing Louise, he added, You must carefully watch for my calling out, Come. Appear instantly, but let it be alone. When I call out, Come, for the second time, the rest of the party may make their appearance. "'Alas, sir, my heart begins to fail me,' replied Louise, endeavouring to suppress her tears. "'My poor father! What if the present trial fail?' "'Nay, nay, keep up your courage. I am most sanguine of success in the scheme I have long meditated for the restoration of your father's reason. Now then, all you have to do for the present is carefully to attend to my directions.' So saying, the doctor, quitting his party, entered a small chamber whose grated window looked into the garden. Thanks to rest, care, sufficiency of nourishing diet, Morel was no longer the pale, careworn, haggard creature that had entered those walls. The tinge of health began to colour his before jaundiced cheek, but a melancholy smile, a fixed, motionless gaze, as though on some object forever present to his mental view, proved too plainly that reason had not entirely resumed her empire over him. When the doctor entered, Morel was sitting at a table, imitating the movements of a lapidary at his wheel. "'I must work,' murmured he, "'and hard, too. Thirteen hundred francs. Aye, 
thirteen hundred is the sum required, or poor Louise will be dragged to a scaffold. That must not be. No, no. Her father will work, work, work. Thirteen hundred francs. Right. Morel, my good fellow, said the doctor, gently advancing towards him. Don't work so very hard. There is no occasion now. You know that you have earned the thirteen hundred francs you required to free Louise. See, here they are. And with these words the doctor laid a handful of gold on the table. Saved! Louise saved! exclaimed the lapidary, catching up the money and hurrying towards the door. Then I will carry it at once to the notary. Come, called out the doctor, in considerable trepidation, for well he knew the success of his experiment depended on the manner in which the mind of the lapidary received its first shock. Scarcely had the doctor pronounced the signal than Louise sprang forwards, and presented herself at the door just as her father reached it. Bewildered and amazed, Morel let fall the gold he clutched in his hands, and retreated in visible surprise. For some minutes he continued gazing on his daughter with a stupefied and vacant stare, but by degrees his memory seemed to awaken, and, cautiously approaching her, he examined her features with a timid and restless curiosity. Poor Louise, trembling with emotion, could scarcely restrain her tears. But a sign from the doctor made her exert herself to repress any manifestation of feeling calculated to disturb the progress of her parents' thoughts. Meanwhile, Morel, bending over his daughter and peering with uneasy scrutiny into her countenance, became very pale, pressed his hands to his brows, and then wiped away the large damp drops that had gathered there. Drawing closer and closer to the agitated girl, he strove to speak to her, but the words expired on his lips. His paleness increased, and he gazed around him with the bewildered air of a person awakening from a troubled dream. "'Good, good!' whispered the doctor to Louise. "'Now when I say, come, throw yourself into his arms and call him father.' The lapidary, pressing his two hands on his breast, again commenced examining the individual before him from head to foot, as if determined to satisfy his mind as to her identity. His features expressed a painful uncertainty, and instead of continuing to watch the features of his daughter, he seemed as if trying to hide himself from her sight, saying in a low, murmuring, broken tone, No, no, it is a dream. Where am I? It is impossible. I dream. It cannot be she. Then, observing the gold strewed on the floor, he cried, And this gold, I do not remember. Am I then awake? Oh, my head is dizzy. I dare not look. I am ashamed. She is not my Louise. Come, cried the doctor in a loud voice. Father, dearest father, exclaimed Louise, do you not know your child, your poor Louise? And as she said these words, she threw herself on the lapidary's neck, while the doctor motioned for the rest of the group to advance. Gracious heavens! exclaimed Morel, while Louise loaded him with caresses. Where am I? What has happened to me? Who are all these persons? Oh, I cannot, dare not believe the reality of what I see. Then, after a short silence, he abruptly took the head of Louise between his two hands, gazed earnestly and searchingly at her for some moments, then cried, in a voice tremulous with emotion, Louise? He is saved said the doctor, 
my dear morel my dear husband exclaimed the lapidary's wife mingling her caresses with those of her daughter my wife my child and wife both here cried morel pray don't overlook the rest of your friends monsieur morel said rigolette advancing see we have all come to visit you at once i for one am delighted to renew my acquaintance with the worthy monsieur morel said germain coming forward and extending his hand and your old acquaintances at the lodge beg that they may not be overlooked chimed in anastasie leading alfred up to the astonished and delighted lapidary you know us don't you monsieur morel the piplets the hearty old piplets and your everlasting friends come pluck up your courage and look about you monsieur morel hang it all daddy morel here is a happy meeting may we see many such allez donc monsieur piplet and his wife everybody here it seems to me so long since but but no matter tis you louise my child tis you is it not exclaimed he joyfully pressing his daughter in his arms oh yes my dearest father tis your own poor louise and there is my mother here are all our kind friends you will never quit us more never know sorrow or care again and henceforward we shall all be happy and prosperous happy let me try and recollect a little of past things i seem to have a faint recollection of your being taken to prison and and then louise all seems a blank and confusion here continued morel pressing his hand to his temples never mind all that dearest father i am here and innocent let that comfort and console you stay stay that note of hand i gave and now i remember it all cried the lapidary with shuddering horror then in a voice of assumed calmness he said and what has become of the notary he is dead dearest father murmured louise dead he dead then indeed i may hope for happiness but where am i how came i here how long have i left my home and wherefore was i brought hither i have no recollection of any of these things you were extremely ill said the doctor and you were brought here for air and good nursing you have had a severe fever and been at times a little light-headed yes yes i recollect now and when i was taken ill i remember i was talking to my daughter and some other person who could it be ah now i know a kind good man named m rodolphe who saved me from being arrested afterwards strange to say i cannot recall a single circumstance your illness was attended with an entire absence of memory said the doctor and in whose house am i now in that of your friend m rodolphe interposed germain hastily it was thought that country air would be serviceable to you and promote your recovery excellent said the doctor in a low tone then speaking to a keeper who stood near him he said send the coach around to the garden gate to prevent the necessity of taking our recovered patient through the different courts filled with those less fortunate than himself as frequently occurs in cases of madness morel had not the least idea or recollection of the aberration of intellect under which he had suffered shortly afterwards morel with his wife and daughter ascended the fiacre 
attended also by a surgeon of the establishment, who, for precaution's sake, was charged to see him comfortably settled in his abode ere he left him. And in this order, and followed by a second carriage, conveying their friends, the lapidary quitted Bicêtre without entertaining the most remote suspicion of ever having entered it. "'And do you consider this poor man effectually cured?' asked Madame Georges of the doctor as he led her to the coach. "'I hope so, at least. And I wish to leave him wholly to the beneficial effects of rejoining his family, from whom it would now be almost dangerous to attempt to separate him. Added to which, one of my pupils will remain with him and give the necessary directions for his regimen and treatment. I shall visit him myself daily, until his cure is confirmed, for not only do I feel much interested in him, but he was most particularly recommended to me when he first came here by the chargé d'affaires of the Grand Duke of Gerolstein. A look of intelligence was exchanged between Germain and his mother. Much affected with all they had seen and heard, the party now took leave of the doctor, reiterating their gratification at having been present during so gratifying a scene, and their grateful acknowledgments for the politeness he had shown them in conducting them over the establishment. As the doctor was re-entering the house, he was met by one of the superior officers of the place, who said to him, "'Ah, my dear Monsieur Herbin, you cannot imagine the scene I have just witnessed. It would have afforded an inexhaustible fund of reflection for so skilful an observer as yourself. To what do you allude? You are aware that we have here two females, a mother and a daughter, who are condemned to death, and that their execution is fixed for tomorrow. Well, in my life, I never witnessed such a cool indifference as that displayed by the mother. She must be a female fiend. You allude to the widow Martial, I presume. What fresh act of daring has she committed? You shall hear. She had requested permission to share her daughter's cell until the final moment arrived. Her wish was complied with. Her daughter, far less hardened than her parent, appeared to feel contrition as the hour of execution approached while the diabolical assurance of the old woman seemed, if possible, to augment. Just now, the venerable chaplain of the prison entered their dungeon to offer them the consolations of religion. The daughter was about to accept them, when the mother, without for one instant losing her coolness or frigid self-possession, began to assail the chaplain with such insulting and derisive language that the venerable priest was compelled to quit the cell after trying in vain to induce the violent and unmanageable woman to listen to one word he said. It is a fearful fact connected with this family that a sort of depravity seems to pervade it. The father was executed, a son is now in the galleys, a second has only escaped a public and disgraceful end by flight, while the eldest son and two young children have alone been able to resist this atmosphere of moral contagion. What a singular circumstance connected with this double execution it is that the day of mid-Lent should have been selected. At seven o'clock tomorrow, the hour fixed, the streets will be filled with groups of masqueraders, who having passed the night at the different balls and places of entertainment beyond the barriers, will be just returning home. Added to which, at the place of execution, the Barrière Saint-Jacques, the noise of the revels still being kept up in honour of the carnival can be distinctly heard. The following morning's sun rose bright and cloudless. At four o'clock in the morning, various troops of soldiers surrounded the approaches to Bicêtre. We shall now return to Calabash and her mother in their dungeon. End of chapter 8 Read by Céline Major